Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming to you from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. We have a great guest today. We have Ray Harkins, the host of the 100 Words or Less podcast. You good chance to listen to it. It's a phenomenal podcast that celebrates independent music, independent culture. Podcasts I've been listening to for a little while, so it was really um, it was awesome. It's such a great experience when you get to listen to a podcast a lot and then feel like you get to know someone. And then you actually get to talk to them. Ray is like the nicest dude. Um, if you want to know how this episode happened, I literally just did a cold email, told him I'm a fan of his show, and asked him if he'd ever like to guest. He responded, yes, bam, episode. Um, if you listen to his podcast, which I highly recommend, uh, The 100 Words or Less Podcast, it's on uh, the Jabberjaw Network. Um, Ray's an amazing host. They have amazing, phenomenal guests. They have uh, pretty well-known guests and artists. And also the people in the support worlds, people who work for record labels, publicists, managers, as well as the artists themselves in that like music scene that I I just love. I really recommend you go out and check it out. Ray also played in a band called Taken, which you may know of. I wasn't some I, I, after listening to the podcast. I'm I do remember that band pretty well now. I was looking back. I'm pretty sure I had seen them play somewhere in Connecticut with Folly at some point. Uh, Ray's the man. I I cannot say how nice. He was um, just such a it was such a flawless chat. There's no edits in this. We just started talking and then an hour was up and we both had to get back to work. Um, I, I can't sing his good graces. Please check out his podcast, the 100 Words or Less podcast on the Jabachar Network. You could um, talk to him on Twitter at XPurposeX. Make sure you, you uh, go to the website, 100wordspodcast.com. Ray has a blog, rayharkins.com. And uh, make sure you check out the Jabberjaw Network website. Uh, yeah, just, man, I, I, I'm not even kidding. Like, I just had so much fun with this episode. Like, I've had fun with almost every guest that's ever, every guest that's ever been on. It's been a great experience, but I won't rank them, but this is an equally wonderful experience. So please, please, please check it out. Uh, quick plug for the show. As always, we are on the Misfits Podcast Network. Check us out online. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Let's Chat Podcast. There's a Facebook page. I was recently a guest on ben Brandon Beard's podcast, Podcast Game Show. It's a great trivia game show. It's pretty quick, tons of fun. I can't wait to get Brandon on this show. I it was a blast. And also thanks to AllThingsPodcast.com for their wonderful write up of the podcast. I have a huge uh, number increase. So thank you to all you new listeners. Um, it's fun to see where everyone lives and seeing people from all over the world. All right, we'll keep the intro short. Ray, thanks again. Let's get to it. It's funny because I literally was just listening to you on my way to my office to here. So I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it, it it always is. Like, anytime I've had a, a podcaster on my show that I, I listen to their show, it's always a weird, like, oh, yeah, that's that's obviously how you sound. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's, it's it's I think it's my favorite part about doing a show uh, yep. is that experience. Because, like, uh, yeah, it's awesome. I, I always joke, it's like, sometimes when I get, I get to guest on shows, like, oh, why would you start a podcast? And I'm like, it's the first art form that I've been a fan of that I can actually do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's executable for me. Yeah, yeah. Like, I always get jealous of, like, you music types, like, because I couldn't sing or play guitar or anything good. So I was, like, super involved in music without actually ever playing it. So this is, like, my Johnny Come Lately. I was like, I get to be part of it. In yeah, a different, I get to be the creator. Hey, it's, it's it, it, as long as you're being, as long as you're putting something out in the world. So that's uh, yeah. that's the most important part. Yeah, it's it's cool. Uh, um, so like I, God, how did I? I found your show. I, I and the years the show has been one I just kept it kept coming up on my radar, but for whatever reason, I just didn't listen at first, just because there's just so many podcasts out there. So and then one day you were on Washed Up Emo. I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I'm for I'm forced to listen to this now. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I because I, I I got to I've learned about Washed Up Emo, and then Tom was nice enough to come on here, so I always listen to his show, and then. And then I was listening to something else, and your show was referenced again. I was like, oh, yeah. I kept – guys, I don't know. Do you do you have an iPhone? Because the new iTunes app 
iPhone app really sucks if you don't hit subscribe. You get all these podcasts that you downloaded the episode of at the bottom of your phone that you forget about. And oh, you yeah, kinda... I don't I, I don't use I don't use the uh built in player. I use uh Overcast, which is uh I just it's like five bucks and it's an incredible app and yeah, so I, I it's yeah, it's it's the yeah. I mean it's cool that obviously it's baked into the phone and people have no choice but to reckon with the idea of what a podcast is. But yeah, as far as functionality, it's definitely not the best, especially for people like yourself and myself who listen to way too many podcasts. Oh, like, yeah. you, you need a, you need a powerful player to help you out. Yeah. Cause now it's like, if you don't, and if they don't make the subscribe button easier than they used to. And it shows every episode by like the date it's released. And like, I'm a, I'm a fan of finding a show like how with music, like you find a band and you start with the back catalog so, like, you hit subscribe, download the episode, you go look, and you have to, like, dig all the way. Like, there's episodes of your show I'm listening to from, like, 2013. Nice. Like, yeah, because, like, I, I just, you know, you go back, and, and then you work your way forward. Well, that's, I mean, and, that, and that's the beauty about it, too. It's, like, the, um, I've never been a fan of the idea of doing, like, you know, a weekly digest of music shows, because, um, you know, whatever, chopping up the news of whatever's happening with an independent music, it, you know, I, I see a function of it. But to me, it's like I want a person such as yourself that finds the show, you know, whatever, two or three years later. It doesn't matter. No one's late to the party anymore. But the cool thing is, is you can dive back into an interview that I did, you know, four years ago or three years ago. And it's like, oh, it's still just as relevant because they're not like, hey, how, how about that recent news story thing? You know, it's like it, it's it's evergreen. And that's the way it should be, in my opinion. No, I totally agree, and like I like those shows that exist. I don't tend to listen to a lot of them, those like weekly ones. And I know it always sounds so hacky when I like I talk about this to people, but I'm like, I want it to feel like an old Simpsons episode. Like I want it to be timeless. Like I want it to be relevant the day I record it, the time you hear it, and then in ten years from now you can listen to it and be like, oh yeah, things were different back then. But like the core message should just be like instead of being like, hey, let's talk about this new story. Like oh, remember that? Oh yeah, I feel the same way. It's it's a uh, I know it's always weird. They're like, really? You, you take it to the, it's, I'm like, I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's cool. Like, I was, um, God, I was listening to, like, your episode with like, Jonah Ray, which is like, I was like, oh, my God, that's huge. But what was that, like, three years ago you recorded that? Yeah, yeah, two, yeah, two and a half or close to three years ago. Yeah. I, yeah, that uh, was, like, yesterday. So, for me, it was, like, two days ago. And it's just great. Like, and then I'm like, I probably shouldn't ask some questions about an interview. I've done that with the people. Like, you got to remember, like, they had this conversation. They don't remember any of it. And it was three years ago. And. <laughs> the yeah the specific beats of the conversation i usually don't remember but it's like the you know i as plain as day i i think i could run through every single one of the the shows and, i mean obviously the ones that are not recorded over skype but be able to uh, tell you it's like oh yes they invited me over to their house and i did that here and it was on a tuesday like i remember those yeah days, yeah yeah like yeah they're like oh yeah you talked about that record i'm like okay you say so <laughs> now, do you still get shit for uh, calling it the hundred words or less podcast even though it's over 100 words. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the joke, I mean, now that the show's existed for a, a longer period of time, there's far less of that just because people kind of accept it for what it is. Um, but yeah, towards the beginning, it was definitely one of those things where people thought they were being real creative and being like, hey, this isn't 100 words. It's like, no, no shit. Like, come on, dude. They're, they, <laughs> that would be the worst podcast ever if you talked for 100 words and ended it. For sure. And I, I just. It, it's funny because, you know, whatever, uh, retroactively thinking about the title of the show, it, to me, that's such a common statement of like, you know, in 100 words or less, do this because, you know, it's what teachers told you and you're writing essays or whatever. You know, they give you some parameter to work within and that's what you do. And I realize that that is such a dated reference now where it's like kids don't hear that statement. Yeah. So it just doesn't it's not as meaningful. Um, and so I, I get it where people approach it with a very like, what does that even mean? I'm like, well, I, here, let me let me help you out. <laughs> this is this is what it means. But um, and then obviously people that know the podcasting medium realize that 100 words or less like you were joking around is not even feasible. No. Well, I mean, if you wanted to make it modern for kids, you should call it 140 characters or less. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Which but then which doesn't roll off the tongue as well. No. And I probably wouldn't check out a show called 140 characters or less. And uh, right. the same way, um, um, it's it's cool because like I uh, you know I was listening to that and then saw like I was listening to you on other shows because like I always like I love to research guests, you know it's just cool. Um, you have quite you're such a, a like a diverse person. You've done so many really cool things, but all in this like subculture of world. I was like oh, and every, everything you've done, I was like oh man, that's that's fascinating to talk about. Like I was just learning that you worked for like um, 
So, like, for people who don't know, you're a, you're a hardcore punk music kid, and then you worked for labels, and then worked for PETA, too, and I, so I was hopefully touched on all that stuff, because I was like, that's awesome. Well, th- well thank you. Yeah, I, I definitely, my, my pursuit has definitely always been to lead by a fun experience, where it's like, you know, the work that I've always done hasn't been centered on how much money I'm making, but it's just the, uh, hey, this looks, this looks cool, this looks fun. Um, will it provide me a uh, a living wage? That's all I care. That's all I've ever cared about. And yeah, fortunately, yeah. it's led me in diff- so many random directions that, um, you know, it wasn't like when I started the band when I was 15 years old that I was like, man, I really want to work in the music industry. It was just like a step by step process where it's like, okay, I was the business guy of the band, and because I was the singer of the band, so that kind of default falls on a singer's shoulder shoulders because people just approach the singer more often than not and uh yeah so then i just started to learn how to like book shows and you know settle shows which like you know get the money that we're you know guaranteed for playing that particular show how awkward are those conversations when it's like those diy do you ever have like those diy places and then you got these like philosophical kids who try to make you feel guilty for being paid for your work yeah they're like fortunately man yeah. No, fortunately, I've never had any of those really rough conversations, but I definitely there's definitely been the hard conversations of a promoter who really, you know, was a, a kid like same age as me um, trying to do something cool within their, their city. But then to be like, dude, I'm in Lubbock, Texas. I am in the middle of a two and a half month tour. I, I need that one hundred and fifty dollars, because if we don't get this. Uh, this is a domino effect of everything else that will affect us. Yeah. So I, I've definitely done the, uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I want to be a nice person about this, but can we please go to the ATM and you were taking money out of this because you promised us this. And, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but yeah, fortunately there's been no, um, like you said, the, the the very heady conversations of like, well, is that really worth the money? It's like, oh, God, kill me. So fortunately. Hey, I'm man, worth- you should be doing it for free for the art and for the love of it. And, totally. And I, like, I, I was probably that dickhead when I was, like, 17. But, oh, yeah. And that's get, such, like, a middle-class kid, th- middle-upper-kid-class thinking that you don't – you know, I'm sure there's no one in the hip-hop community who, like, grew up in, like, South Bronx would have that mentality. Like, you should travel here and play for free, man, with all of your expensive equipment. <laughs> totally, yeah. It's like, th- thanks for showing up. We appreciate the art you're creating. Thanks for your art, but uh, we're not going to pay you for the – Yeah. And the other part of – I don't think people understood, it's like when the band isn't getting paid – a, it sucks for the band, but it's just someone is just keeping that money that doesn't deserve it. So it's not even like this money is going to go back and fund like the the rec center. It's going to a shitty promoter's pocket. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, it, it it used to drive me crazy. I, yeah, for sure. Back in the day, <laughs> I was uh, I was once fired from a very short term uh, production company because we booked a show. It was like Glass Eater. Uh, Bayside was the band that kind of broke off this tour, and there's who's this opening band called Celebrity. I don't really remember much about them, but they had gotten lost, and I think I like went out of my way to like call their booking agent to get them to the show, and then someone in the company was like, "Dude, that's fucked up. Now we have to pay them." It's like, well, yeah, they're from like Texas or Tennessee, and this is the first Tennessee, show yeah. tour. And now if and they they got there, we, they got paid, and everything worked out. But then that person's like, "We're not working together anymore." I was like, "I'm sorry, they were dry. It wasn't our fault that the city didn't have a straight sign and." <laughs> right, all these extenuating circumstances. Yeah, I wonder what happened. I haven't right. thought about that band until just now. They were no, a band, house, I remember, and they were yeah, really band, nice. So that band was incredible. I saw them. Uh, yeah, they play, they play out here in Southern California. Uh, they were. Uh, well, I want to say one or two dudes from Hope's Fall, that uh, band from uh, North Carolina. Uh, oh shit! Car- no way. Yeah, I think at least one of those dudes was. I in, wish uh, I knew that back then, because I. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I, uh, the washed up emo world has been wonderful because I've like kind of gone back in my older age and and found the early emo because like i got into this around the like i remember hearing like thursday's full collapse and thinking that i was the only one in the world that knew about this gem and i'm like going back and listening to like podcasts like oh all right so that was like a movement that i wasn't the only one doing (laughs) sure yeah well whatever but it's the context in which you you're listening to this stuff so yeah yeah yeah. it's really it's really exciting to uh, to go back, uh, some of it is definitely hard because, uh, frankly, just the recording quality on a lot of this stuff is yeah. atrocious. And it's like, you know, I totally get where it's like, whatever, I, I look at, you know, the sort of hardcore world. And it's like most of the stuff recorded from like 93 till about like 97 was pretty terrible, like oh, sounding. Yeah. 
And so, I mean, especially on a more, uh, you know, if you weren't on Victory Records or Revelation, you weren't having a recording budget. So a lot of these seminal recordings have really, really bad recording quality. So I totally get it of a kid who gets into it, you know, when they're 15 years old in 2015 and trying to listen to, you know, like a chokehold or groundwork or whatever. Some of these, you know, legendary 90s hardcore bands and they're like, yeah, hey, it, it sounds like trash cans falling down a set of stairs and he like the bands would also agree they're like yeah it's that's what it sounded like so it's like i yeah I, but it is nice to be able to go back and like actually hit a record or two and be like oh wow this sounds good and like i get why this was so important back then and i get why it still resonates with people today it, it, it's it's great so you were you were doing the band and then were able to work that into working at a label simultaneously which i mean anyone out there that's like the dream if you can I, no, for sure. I to be in a band like you gotta basically have a job. I mean, most all the music. I think there's been one musician on here, maybe two who that's all they're doing. But even then, they still have a freelance side gig just because they're smart. Yeah, you got to. I mean, I totally. I looked at it from the, the perspective of I never had any uh, visions of making a living off of the music I created. It, I was basically just utilizing it as a uh, a collection of experiences. Um, just be, you know, I, I just didn't. And plus, at that time, it wasn't really commonplace for bands of our nature to make a living off of it. You know, it's like o only maybe three or four years into our band did we see some of our peers, you know, be able to take the step out and realize that like, oh, okay, if we're out ten months out of the year, we're essentially making a living off of our band. Um, but I never had any any visions of that. So it's like, yeah, I worked at an independent record store because they allowed me to take months off at a time and come back and still have a job, but then allow me to tour. And then when the record label thing came into play, I was just like, oh, I could totally utilize this to where it's like, you know, it was beneficial for the record label because here I was a singer of a, a whatever mid-level success hardcore band getting out there trying to, uh, you know, sign bands of that nature it was beneficial for the label because they didn't have to spend money on me traveling. I was already out there doing it um, in, in the same fashion as like, uh, you know, many people paid attention to when Death Wish first started to put out records because it was like, oh, it's Jake Bannon from Converge's label. So it's like there was I, I granted I never in my mind was like, oh, yeah, me working at Century Media. Uh, people are just going to start to realize that it's like, oh, it's it's Ray from Taken's label. It's like I never had that vision, but it was just like it was <laughs> It was beneficial, and so I was able to kind of negotiate my way into, like you said, this sort of dream scenario where it was like – but I did wish at the time that I had uh, smartphone access because this was like – I got hired at Century Media when it was like 2001. So, oh, oh, dude, it was brutal because it was like I would, you know, whatever, travel a day to van, so obviously I have no internet access. And then I would basically, uh, you know, play a show. Usually we either find a place to stay with somebody else, uh, very, very rarely get a hotel because obviously that's not how we rolled. Um, and then I would like work until like, you know, three or four in the morning and uh, answer emails once I had Internet access. And so it was only I think it was like 2003 or so uh, when I got my first like it was like a Sprint Trio. It was, uh, you know, or one of the very early smartphones. And it was like I got to do email like in the van. And I was like, this is heaven because i didn't have to kill myself you know staying up till all hours of the night responding to emails and stuff like that so it was it was a trade-off but it was totally worth it because it allowed me to travel and tour did uh take and ever do the northeast yeah we definitely uh gosh because you're you're in uh are you in vermont or am i crazy uh well no i'm in uh, providence but I actually we're school in vermont yeah. okay yeah we definitely played... I grew up in connecticut so like my reference is all the connecticut scene yeah, we played. We definitely played the LNG Club. We played. Yep. Uh, we, we were really good friends with this uh, band called In Pieces from Connecticut. That's um, like my favorite youth scene band ever. Like that was our. Oh, dude. I, I think I feel like I've seen your band because I I know I I I was looking through it and your stuff is surprisingly hard to find online. And I'm yeah. like, I know I know that name. So I was talking to my fr a friend of a friend. Uh, uh, who was in Folly, and he's like, Yeah, I think we've definitely played with him in Jersey a couple times. Oh yeah, yeah. We played with Folly. We actually. We played a basement show with uh, Folly um, in I, – I, I don't think it was New Brunswick, but it was like central New Jersey at uh, this girl, um, Alyssa. <laughs> She's – I don't know why I remember this, but she used to have shows in her basement. Her parents were – like she was like 15 or 16 years old, and she would have shows in her basement. But anyways, I remember playing with Folly because I was like, what the hell is this band? They are yeah, a yeah. hard band. Like it just didn't make any sense, but the guys were super nice and yep. – uh, 
every time that we, I, I totally remember the guy who I actually had a relationship with in the band. But yeah, so we Arpen. played. Uh, that sounds familiar. For a game, I, I actually they're actually good friends of mine. I still, I just okay. was at Jess' wedding last uh, last summer. Oh, uh, nice guitarist. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was like our band that we were in love with and then became friends with. And nice. Uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. We're like we're still friends to this day. And, That's uh, so rad. I'm trying to get the whole. I've had three fifths of the band on. Still two holdouts, just because they're lazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I heard yeah. you reference them once, and I was like, I got really excited and texted them. I was like, Oh my god! Yeah, no, we we definitely played with them, and we uh, yeah, in pieces. But yeah, we we played, we played Providence, we played the living room, and um, oh yeah, that's now. Oh god, yeah, we, pieces. I wish anyone who's listened to this who can who remembers that is just like, oh yeah, because that was like our band in Connecticut. Them and like With Honor were the two bands that were like, oh yeah, this is going to take over the world. And then With Honor went to victory. And no offense to With Honor, but they just put out a terrible, terrible album. And the rumor was it was Victory's involvement. I don't know. I was young, seen politics. I don't know. But it, it was it wasn't it, good. No, it was it was it, it, honestly it actually broke my heart because yeah I was I was trying to uh, I was trying to sign the band to Century Media, and so like I had uh, Todd, was Todd the nicest man in the entire world. Yes, they were totally. the nicest, nicest, sweetest people. And you could and I would see them play, and then when the new album came out, and you could just tell I was like, ugh. Yeah, I I remember I actually flew Todd and uh, I'm totally blanking on the bassist's name, um, but anyways I flew them out to California to basically hang out with them and you know try to convince them to sign the Century Media and they had a uh, it was like a three or four song kind of demo that they were shopping around to labels and the songs were um, unbelievable um, I I can't recall if any of them actually ever ended up being on that victory full length mm. um, I probably not if you said the word incredible no offense with honor if no, you ever no, hear this. Yeah, it was a, uh, and so it, the 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 star was very bright for them because I know it was like they were talking to like not only Victory but Century Media and then like it was even weird because like Vagrant Records and like at the time Vagrant you know had they were such a powerhouse I was like dude I can't compete trying to sign this band if Vagrant is interested because like you know that whatever that was when Census fails at their height and they saves a day get up kids is like everything was you know totally stacked against me and then when they ended up signing with Victory I was like. I, anytime I feel like a band, when I was trying to pursue them and sign them, if they made a choice that I was like, okay, that makes business sense. Like, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to harbor any resentment business-wise towards them. Um, I, I was okay with it. But when they signed to Victory, I totally felt like, oh, really, guys? Like, come on. Like, if you signed with Vagrant, I'd have been like, okay, I lost to the better label. But Victory, I felt like, was on the same level. Anyways, but yeah, with Honor was an incredible band. In pieces, I could go on for hours, but I won't. Oh, feel free. This is basically the entire show. Let's just relive my youth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's cool. Yeah, with honor. And they were, they had a third band of those crew, uh, Life in Your Way, which probably wasn't as big, but they were really wonderful. Uh, love, love, love that. Uh, loved everything that that band did too. So good. Yeah, it was a special time in Connecticut. And but of course, um, it's funny because every time you join a music scene, um, I, this is not my joke, but it's like every oral history is like it was better before you got here. Um, that goes to that quote goes to Jeff Garlock because he said it, and I was like, "That's so true." Because every time any oral history I've ever read, any time I went to a show, it's like, "You should have been here in '97." <laughs> I was like, "I wasn't born." Well, I was born. Yeah, but but I was. My parents wouldn't let me go. I was 12. Yeah, well, I, I I hate that nostalgic feeling. It's of, so true, and yeah, I, I feel like I'm having that with with honor, but I know I'm not wrong because I do remember seeing them in like. Nights, they were like really good dudes, and they they were really good to like the scene itself because they had like friends that were in much, much, much bigger bands, and we would get them to do like a day off tour and play in like a hall. So it would be like, and maybe this is once, but it was them. It was like Madball, Hope Conspiracy, Converge, and like Hatebreed to do a surprise set in a hall, and like that's because With Honor could do that at that time. Yeah, and it's amazing. Yeah. Oh my god. And do, do you happen to remember Stretcher Armstrong? I've been listening to them like oh, a lot. That's a, Spectacular band, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm trying to hunt them down because I was like, this, uh, but man, I was, because I, I, every like year I go back to those records of all the stuff I used to listen to, and I, I wonder like when I have kids, it's gonna be like, my dad was into folk music, and I'm gonna be like, here we go, guys, we're gonna listen to Boys That's Fire after the eulogy again. <laughs> and well, next I, Sunday. <laughs> well, yeah, it's definitely a, a weird notion of what oldies is going to be as you uh, as you grow older, but you know you. I think most uh, most parents, when they get to that age, they realize the practical nature of not being like, hey, I'm going to play hardcore records for you yep. because it's like, you know, you, you, no, no, because plus you're 
I've thought about this way too much because I have a four and a half year old son, but it's like uh, he clearly the the mold is set where whatever your parents are into, you are not going to be into. It's yeah. not going to be cool. It sucks. It's stupid. So it's like the last thing I want to do is play him what I would define as, you know, life changing and monumental for me. It's going to be like, you know, I'll, I'll do obviously all the Disney stuff because that's great. And then as he gets older, then, you know, maybe start to introduce, introduce some harder stuff or whatever. But I'm not going to go out and be like, this is my music because he's going to rebel. But I don't, you know, our parents weren't thinking about it in those terms because they didn't, you know, they obviously had more important shit to worry about. <laughs> but now no, my dad was. My dad was totally trying to push folk down our throat. <laughs> Okay, he, yeah. his, his was deliberate. That's fine. Yeah, big time, and, and it worked. I mean, he, I mean, like my first concert, like most people, are like I went to this like '80s legendary band. I was like, I saw Pete Seeger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which now looking back, I'm like, damn, dad, that's really good. I mean, yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool, it's a cool story. Yeah, most people's dads like uh, Bruce Springsteen, and then Bruce Springsteen did a tribute to Pete Seeger. I was like, all right, Bill, good, good for you. You guys did good. We went to lots of. My dad used to use me as like a way to meet his famous his his favorite folk artists at festivals as like a little kid. Like just go just run into him, ask for an autograph, and then chase after me. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, pleasure to meet you, Pete, or whoever folk artist he loved. I was like, that's pretty clever. Right. <laughs> I hope my mom <laughs> doesn't know about that. <laughs> sure. But so I think you might be the third guest on here who is an adult and still edge. So that I think that's awesome. Thank you. Yes, it's uh, I'm going on. Uh, actually, I think yeah, this year was my uh, my 20 year uh, edgeversary, as they say. Um, so yeah, I was f- f- 15 years old is when I claimed the edge. So I'm 35 now, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because obviously most people that become adults that are we don't use that term anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it's like it's it's devoid of context when you're an adult. You just don't drink. But I still obviously proudly proclaim that myself because I feel I ha- I've always had this weird notion in my head that the moment that I sort of shed that label, that's when I feel like all of the straight edge-ness that I did not like about the movement will win. Like all of the closed-mindedness and you know mm-hmm. violence and everything else that kind of permeated in the uh, you know late 90s, early 2000s. I was like, I don't I don't want to be that person that just hits that spot. And it's like, I want to be like, I so distinctly remember this is, you know, an anecdotal story, but kind of illustrates the point. I was in like a sociology class at a community college. And so, um, or it was a communications. It was something to do with basically, you know, you talk to people, talk about your feelings, blah, blah, blah. So I just remember it was like, you, you went around the classroom, introduce yourself. And I remember, introducing myself and you know uh, saying that i was straight edge and so you know i definitely felt a a, a vibe in the room shift because i know that a lot of people had a a, probably a negative run-in but towards the end of the class there was like at least two or three people that like separately went up to me um and i wouldn't even define as friends just classmates and they were like hey you know like you thank you for being you know reasonable nice whatever uh because all the other people that I went to like high school with that were straight edge seemed really judgmental and blah blah blah. And so yeah, I was like, it's... totally, totally. So I just oh, feel, yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel, even though as an adult I shouldn't still call myself that, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to be like 80 and still calling myself straight edge, which oh, is yeah. going to be hilarious. Well, I mean, if I met an adult today, because I work for um, a behavioral health company, so I meet, if I meet an adult today that doesn't drink or do drugs, I my automatic brain goes to you're in recovery. And there's a big difference that you actually just never did it. So, like, anyone I meet today who doesn't drink or do drugs, really, I just automatically be like, oh, so you're a recovering alcoholic, which is a different – not nothing wrong with it, but it's two different paths that you took that, that person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these are these are two distinct uh, l- yeah. life choices and patterns and all the other things that kind of play into it. So yeah, it's uh, but yeah, but I'm straight should be like a parent's dream. Like, wait, you're not gonna drink or do drugs? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, I yeah, actually it's, don't drink at all either, and um, and I'm I don't consider my straight edge, but I also don't do drugs. So I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I've always enjoyed life. I always, I mean, I have drinking, so that's why I don't want to ever call myself edge. And I like smoke lots of cannabis. But, like, sure. I don't anymore do anything. But it's just, like, so I never got into bar culture at all. And I hate drunk people. Like, do you did you find that with being edge as well or being sober and edge as well? Like, you just, I don't know. Like, going to a bar when everyone's drunk and you're sober, you just see the ridiculousness of it. Oh, yeah. I, I've, I mean, I've never uh, I've, I've never felt comfortable in any of those situations. Like, you know, no, going to 
Yeah, going to parties still is always one of those things where it's like, like I mean, I could do it because I'm a social person, but it's like it's never my um, my my default. I would like to do this move because um, I, I, I look at it where it's like I would rather, you know, rather than interacting with, you know, 20 people for two minutes, um, I would rather interact with two people for 20 minutes. You know, it's like yep. I just I find the the, the length of of a conversation to be much more meaningful to me um but yeah no i've never that that whole culture like i met i mean i've been married now for 10 years and it's like i met my wife through music and shows and stuff like that um but we always we constantly talk to each other about like can you even believe like how the fuck people meet each other when they don't have like you know if you're just a normal regular human being going through the world like where do you meet people like, you yeah, know, oh my god, they can, I moved, and so I moved here like five years ago. Making friends without going to bars, it's hard. Yeah, it's totally. so hard. And I mean, that's, I think everyone who starts a podcast says the same thing. It's an excuse to find time to talk to, your, talk to people, because yep. you're pulled in a lot of different directions with your, I mean, I'm married and full-time job, and you know, that, yeah. that old man story that we all have, but it's it's very true. And it's totally. nice, like, this is like the one hour I'll carve out of my day without touching my cell phone. Yeah, which is oh, sad. It's, well, it's but I mean it's it's practical. It gives you it gives you a constructive time to obviously um, you know it, it indulge your own selfishness, but at the same time also yeah. be able to help another person spread their story and platform or whatever it is that they're looking yes. to do. And yeah, it's it's uh, I mean it's a it's a win win situation for most people. And you're still a, a vegan as well. Yeah, I've been. Oh, um, that's awesome. I I have um I had to I had a guest on here early on in the run um. He was in the band called the Flaming Tsunamis. I don't know if you – they were – they had some good low uh, middle success. Wonderful band. And now uh, he does a lot of work with A Billion Lives, so he, like, travels the country as a vegan activist. And, oh, um, nice. you know, I was always, like, open to veganism, and I have to say learned all about that stuff from going to punk rock. That's the only way I ever knew about animal rights activism was from going to punk rock shows. That's great. And, uh, I, I, and I kind of equated it – him and I – wonderful guy, Andy Tabar – and we were talking about when we were younger, so I'm an atheist. I was a fucking asshole about it. And he was like, yeah, when I was a young vegan, I was a dick. And now that we're both in our 30s talking about it, both of our viewpoints are so different. And he really opened my eyes and shed some light on stuff. And it it really shows it, – it's strange to me how if someone like you mentions you're a vegan, people can have a really visceral reaction. And it, it kind of bums me out when people aren't just open-minded to be like – you're doing something different. Why am I offended by this? And I asked Andy that. And he's like, yeah, people take their food really, really personal. I was like, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. Well, just because it comes from a place of um, not even if the, the person who adheres to some philosophical stance uh, is put, placing any judgment on it, the person feels immediately judged because they it's not coming from any external um, stimuli. It's usually coming from themselves because they're just like, yep. oh, oh, what? Because I'm not that. Like I'm not that. I'm not as good as you. And it's like, what? Like that's just. It really is the default emotion that most people run off of. Of, um, and so yeah. That I, 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 I mean, I've encountered it most of my life. And I mean, I to your point in regards to the, you know, the youthfulness and being, you know, very loud and boisterous about whatever it is you get into. Um, you know, that's the beauty of it. And it's like, of course, you're able to temper that, like you said, with time and realize that. Um, what the the activities that you did and how loud you yelled about this stuff um, might not have been the most prudent way to uh, convince other people. Um, but it, I mean, it, it's an important component to obviously do that and realize like the, you know, the, the saying the water finds its own level. It's like that, that is how you do that. Cause if you didn't do that when you were younger and you still believe that thing that you incorporate in your life, you start to yell when you're, you know, in your 30s and 40s, and it's like people are going to think you're insane. And she's yeah. like, wait, why are, you know, why, why are you talking about all this? And it's like you need to be, uh, you know, by that time, obviously educated on the subject, um, more entrenched in your, your own personal beliefs um, rather than the sort of, you know, the, the boisterous uh, lack of knowledge that you have when you're younger. It just matters that you're yelling about it. And I'm passionate about this. Like, I don't know about it, really, but I'm passionate. Yeah. No, as, and I think there's so much common ground for people like me who still – I still eat meat, and um, maybe one day I won't. But, like, there's so – like, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty progressive person, and the younger me wouldn't listen to it. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, even if you eat meat, you should be against factory farming the same way I'm against child labor. It's right. 
it's the right thing to do. And then now there's been a lot of stuff in the news of like um, a vegan diet if could like cure global warming, and we're all like, oh man, that's yeah. probably true. <laughs> well, it's I mean, it's just the it's the ever evolving um, discussion around these these topics, and it's like it may that thing may not have been so prevalent, you know, 15, 20 years ago in the same fashion that it's like, I, you know, when people are approaching me about either advice about going vegetarian or vegan or anything like that. And, um, you know, they're like, Oh, how long have you been? And it's like, well, I've, you know, been like close to, it's like 19, 18 years. I've been, you know, between, between veganism and vegetarianism, I've gone back and forth for a while, but I've been vegan now for about seven or eight years. Oh, wow. That's Uh, awesome. And, um, but it was like back then when I said, you know, this was like, again, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, there was like, I, I get why people are like, oh yeah, being a vegan is hard. It's like, yeah. Cause it was terrible. Like there was no options. You had to subsist on these things that you, it's like, if you went on tour, you had to like bring a ton of stuff with you or yeah. you had, or you had to eat. Like I distinctly remember, uh, my, my meal of choice, uh, partially due to financial reasons, but also, uh, just because it was vegan, where it was like cutting veggie dogs uh, into a can of beans and eating that. And it was like, you know, no one's going to look at that and be like, man, I really want it. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Something I've got to incorporate in my life. So it's it's ever evolving. So it's like it, it makes sense for a person like you to now have different inputs and arguments on as to why the, this lifestyle may be interesting to you because, because of all this newfound knowledge. And it's like, you know, it, it, I definitely feel – especially on this this tip, really passionate about it because, I mean, it's a social change movement. And it's like you look at, at where we're at with civil rights, where we're at with, you know, marriage equality and all these things that, like you said, you you attribute to, you know, a more liberal mindset. Um, they've progressed so massively over the past 60, 50 years. And now we're at a point where it's like I truly believe the next sort of social change movement is about, you know, food and the practicalness of it and people eating less meat. Um, because yeah. of, of, oh, yeah. of the of the environmental impact. And it's one of those things where it's like where we're going to be in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years is going to be astonishing. It's like uh, whatever. I'm raising my kid vegetarian. And Good. it's one of those things where it's like would I have loved my mom to do that? It's like, yeah. And I'm probably at some point I would have been like, yo, I want a double cheeseburger. And I would have done that. But I would have already had all of this. Uh, input in my head of being like, oh, okay, I don't, I don't need that. Like I've, I've existed for, you know, eight, eight, nine years of my life without it. So yeah, I don't know. It's just a, it's a, obviously it's a topic I'm very passionate about, but no, it's cool. It, yeah. it, it's no, cool. I, I was, I'm excited I, to talk to you about it. Cause, um, I think my pessimistic view of what you just said is that in 10, 15 years, uh, food is going to be the big tobacco where we get finally definitive proof that all these big companies have been putting, uh, which we already know, but GMO is terrible. Oh yeah, all the stuff we already know, but it's going to be like you know people knew about tobacco, but it took a while to catch on. Like, and I think it's Pete Holmes. I heard him say that on his podcast. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty true. Like, that's the next big tobacco scandal. Where it's going to be like, yeah, the food was been we're giving you is terrible. <laughs> it's, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's it's, it's not it's not it, yeah it's not meant for your health. It's meant for the uh, the the bottom line and how much money can be made off yep. of you. Like, and like I, the thing that really struck me the most when I was talking to Andy is um, there's no regulation on animal waste. And that was just a thing because, like, so I went to, like, a environmental liberal arts college in Vermont. And so, like, this is always stuff that would come up in classes. So it was interesting about how in this country we're very disconnected from our food as things have changed. And so, like, while I eat, if you are talking to someone while they're eating meat and mentioning it's an animal, there's a lot of people who get really uncomfortable with that. So, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, and I'm, I, I mean, I know I eat meat, so I'm like, I try to try to keep that in mind. I was like, all right, I know what I'm doing. Maybe that's wrong, but it's it's still it's funny. But we've gotten so far away from that where people don't even like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna get some chicken fingers, but they don't put the fact that that chicken was once an animal and animals defecate and their right. meat has to go somewhere, and sadly it goes into our water system, you know. So yeah. even there's it's the meat industry, the dairy industry is so large. And it's really tough to get, like, regulations that help people who eat, like me, who eat meat. So, like, I was like, yeah, all right. Like, he really, it really opened my eyes so much. Like, there's so much of that movement I totally stand on board with that affects everybody. Which, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm glad that there's good people out there like you and trying to get the the good information out there. And that is that kind of what led you to PETA, too? Yeah, I I mean, well, not, I mean, 
yes, because it was a part of my life, but I never had any notion of like working for a nonprofit or anything like that. Yeah. Um, to be clear, to be clear though, like I actually no longer work there as of the past like two months. So it's a recent ship. So it's not oh, like, no yeah, okay. like I, I was listening to old podcasts of yours. Oh, it's okay. It, well, it's not like, you know, breaking information or anything like that, but, um, but yeah, so basically I was working at Century Media, the record label for about, uh, it was about nine years. And it was one of those things where I kind of learned everything I needed to learn at that point. Um, and I, I, I wasn't necessarily looking for a change, but um, I started to work with somebody who worked at PETA 2 on some records that I was releasing because, you know, I was releasing like Earth Crisis records and mm -hmm. Stick to Your Guns and all these bands that, you know, it made sense that PETA 2 wanted to work with them. So I was just talking to her on the phone one day and she was like, uh, I, I made some passing joke to her because I was like, oh, man, I'm almost, turn I'm almost turning 30. And I'm like, I've never had a job interview. I feel weird about that. And she was like, oh, you're looking to, you know, switch it up. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if something cool comes along, of course, I'm interested. And so she, you know, she was like, well, I don't have a boss. And she kind of tell was telling me about her job. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. She's like, send me a resume. I want to send it to, you know, the person who's overseeing PETA 2. And so I did that and then, you know, hopped to the phone with him a few days later and like I said, I wasn't considering a job in a nonprofit sector or anything like that, but uh, the job just made so much sense. It was like, hey, you get to work with bands and celebrities and people who are influencing, uh, you know, younger people um, on animal rights issues from animal adoption to anti-fur issues to, you know, veganism and vegetarianism. Um, and I was like, wait, so I can work with everybody I have in the sort of music entertainment industry, but then also be able to work with people on such a wider level of like, you know, whatever, working with like RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan and all these people who are just like, I never thought I would, you know, I never thought I'd meet these people, let alone like, you know, work with them and like have their personal email address. It's like mind boggling. But um, so, yeah, the job just made sense. And I was I was there for it was like close to six years. Um, and then again, just another opportunity came up. that I was like, I literally can't say no to this. So that's the I'm the type of person where it's like once I lock into something and if I have fun with it, then I'm just going to do it forever until it, it stops to be fun. You know, Yeah, I feel the same way. But yeah, the job I have now, it was like I wasn't looking. It fell on my lap. I was like, all right. <laughs> well, yeah, I have no problems leaving jobs if something better comes along. Um, you know, you gotta look out for number one, I guess, ultimately. Oh, absolutely. So you, was it weird, like, interacting with, like, the celebrities that, like, I don't know who you t were meeting with, but people like you wouldn't expect to meet outside of the punk world? Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely, it's obviously always easier when you have a shorthand with people, um, and you're dealing with, um, I'm trying to think, where it's like, you know, whatever, working with Moby, um, it was one of those things where it's, I mean, he's been, you know, a, a huge vegan advocate for years and years and years. Um, and so, but he, you know, he is a huge and rich history within the context of uh, punk and hardcore. Uh, yeah, and I so, never knew that about him. I, yeah. Interesting. I was listening to him on, like, the Nerdist podcast. I'm like, you're a fascinating guy. Yeah, oh, he totally is, yeah. He, he, his original band, the Vatican Commandos, they were, uh, that was that was his old punk band. But, um, yeah, so it's like him, it was a real easy transition of being, like, you know, kind of nerding out with him about, you know, seven inches or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, but there, there was a lot of people, especially the past couple years, um, where it was like, you know, I was dealing with a lot of uh, what they call social media influencers. So these are people who are obviously, like, huge on YouTube or Vine or whatever social media portal you Yeah, I don't know that world still. I'm still, like feeling like the old fuddy-duddy not understanding it, but slowly kind of exploring it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's it's, it's mind-boggling. But it's like interacting, you know, it, it was really cool to interact with people like that just because obviously it pushed my own, um, you know, it pushed my own knowledge base further to where I was just like, oh, wow, I, now I know about this thing that only 15-year-old girls care about. Um, but at the same time, it was like also, you know, meeting people that were genuinely nice and genuinely like trying to do something uh, cool with whatever it was they were, you know, artistically exploring, even though, I, you know, I don't identify with it. But I'm like, it's cool that you're engaging people in a positive manner. You know, you're trying to uh, bring light to whatever issue mm -hmm. it is that we're working on rather than just putting out like, you know, hey, don't bully people. It's like, OK, you're actually like taking a stand for things, you know. So, yeah. It, but yeah, it was. It's like you know, I, I could name a couple names, and he would be completely lost on you. And like, I would say, a good ninety nine point nine percent of your listeners, uh, because these are people who are just like, oh yeah, they've got like two million followers on Instagram, and it's like, oh, crazy. And so, yeah. it's like, of, of course, I would want to work with them because they have an audience, and they're going to spread animal rights and whatever. So, um, but yeah, it was it was a good experience for me, and I definitely wasn't like approaching these people with like, you know, you don't know about the dead Kennedys, so pff, I don't yeah. really care you it's like no nah, it's like these are people that just you know have different experiences but it's cool 
And it's funny because we think our experience is the normal one, but we're, we're kind of like that. We were the subculture kids, and they're actually more the normal ones. These are probably like the popular kids in high school, and we were not. Yes, you were, but I was not. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I was, I was, I actually was. Uh, I got elected to, uh, gosh, what was it like the, you know, the court where it's like I was never, uh, you know, a king or whatever, but like I think it was uh, the uh, winter formal was a uh, you were able to have like a, the king and prince and princesses or whatever, and so I was, uh, I got voted onto it, um, partially just because I was. Uh, kind of a floater where it's like I did have a, a group of friends who were into the same stuff that I was into. But yeah, same, yeah, same here. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like I could interact with people who are, you know, on the football team and whatever archetypes yeah. they have that wouldn't necessarily co-mingle with one another. But I also attribute it to the fact I went to a smaller high school, um, like a private high school. Oh, cool. Um, but it, it was – it. I was glad for that experience because I definitely um, – well, That skill set helps you out. Look at – I mean, the work you were just doing is like – yeah. Talking Moby's great, but I'm sure you had to meet, like, the Kardashian-type people who, like, it's easy to hate on, but then you have to meet them in real life, and then it's different. Yeah, no, it definitely is, but it's, uh, yeah, I was just thankful for my experience because I, I looked at other friends that, you know, were akin to me as far as, like, my interest in subculture and, um, you know, philosophical beliefs and whatever, and, like, they had a horrific experience in high school, and, like, I don't know what that have would have yielded for me if I would have been more of a, you know, introvert or recluse just because it would be, like, yeah. uh, you know, I'd hate everybody around me or whatever, um, but at the same time, it was kind of like, oh, this was, uh, this was, I was just thankful for my experience, so. No, I mean, I, I had a good high, having a good high school experience is a it's it's a good thing. I think everyone should have one, and it doesn't happen for everyone, but it, it is good when you can kind of come out of it and be like, all right. But also in that not that sense where it's like the glory days, so I was like, yeah, it's good. I'm done. I'm I'm over it. Yeah, for <laughs> I sure. Want to go back? Um, I can put a pause here, but are are do you talk about? I know you work for mid roll now. Is that correct? Yes, that is. Is that something you're able to talk about or? Oh, absolutely. Totally. Oh, okay, then I'll leave that part in. Yeah, I just you know people's jobs, everyone's a little different. Um, yeah, no. So I'm you're not. working for a podcasting company, which only from what I've been learning about you is like, oh, that makes total sense that you've been in the subculture and um, um, are you a part of Jabberjaw? I know you're on their network. Are you not involved in the business side of that? Are you? Well, it was funny because I was supposed to be. Um, okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was going to be launched with with uh, everybody that's still involved with it. Um, but basically, I had to gracefully bow out because of the opportunity that was being presented at the mid roll. Because it was one of those things where it just kind of co- they were both coinciding at the same time, and we'd been working on launching Jabberjaw for quite some time. But then it was one of those things where it's like you know that that for all intent and purposes was kind of just a side project and something we were all passionate about. And but then when the real world started to approach me in regards to like, hey, you're going to be working for the premier podcast advertising company, um, you know, in the United States. Uh, I had to take that seriously, and I had to, like, obviously eliminate any sort of weird conflicts of interest. So, yeah, yeah, um, of course. Yeah, I just kind of, you know, I, I, I just went to them, and I was like, sorry, guys. And, I mean, every, you know, Mike and Nick and uh, Matt that do Jabberjob were, you know, totally understanding and supportive. They they weren't like, you're an asshole, Ray. I can't believe you're making this decision. It was like, dude, we're stoked for you. We're sad to see you go, but we're stoked for you at the same time. So that's so nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just so excited for that network alone just because, like, I love podcasting. So, like, anytime anything happens for the movement, it just feels wonderful. And that's the nicest thing about podcasting. Everyone that I've interacted with, it, it doesn't feel like this competitiveness. It's like, good for you, good for me. Like when Obama oh, did WTF, it was like everyone was like, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" My parents yeah. know what a podcast is now. Of course, yeah, you feel, you you definitely feel that like even though the medium has reached you know new heights that you would never have anticipated before, the medium in and of itself will still feel so intimate, even if it breaks out. You know, which it, I mean, it's on it track. To, it's, it's on track oh to God, yeah. Yeah, to become even larger, it's still by the sheer nature of audio, it's always going to feel intimate. So, oh, it's the it's it's old time radio. I mean, like it, yeah, we're not exactly. reinventing the wheel. We're just taking something that was been done and redone the format, and it's great. No FCC, we can do whatever we want, and it, it, it's amazing. And um, and it's funny that you work for Midroll because I have been I'm part of some really cool like little Facebook groups of like fellow podcast people that I've gotten to know, and like we've read I we've shared Midroll articles all the time because like I'm not like trying to make money off of this in any way. But I mean, sometimes people, I glance at stuff with advertisement and all the articles Midroll has always done is like really helpful. Like, huh, this is kind of nice to have some hard facts of like this can equal this much this. And it's a really great company. But then when Jabberjaw started, I got stoked because I was like, finally, like independent music is finally taking notice. Maybe I already had. I just am not aware of it because 
there's no good way to find a podcast, sadly, which I think people are working on. Yep. And uh, yeah. so it's it's good to see, like, the music scene I once loved, because I love uh, the lead singer syndrome. I love – that's a great show as well. Oh, yeah. That you guys Shane, yeah, sh- yeah Shane, Shane's really good at uh, – I mean, he, yeah, he had that, day, that idea for a while, and it was just a matter of, like, uh, you know, timing it appropriately to launch it. So, yeah, he's – it's cool. And I, I obviously I was excited about being involved with it, and, you know, I, I have some ideas for other shows I'm trying to help people launch and stuff like that. So it's like – even though I won't be officially working with them in that capacity, it'll be one of those things that, you know, obviously my show's a part of that network and, um, you know, it'll, yeah. that relationship will still exist. And yeah, it's, it's very exciting just because, yeah, it was, music is so woefully underrepresented from a sort of, um, you know, podcast perspective where it's just like, you know, you look at the top of the iTunes charts in music as far as podcasts are concerned. And a lot of them are just like, you know, DJ mixes. And it's like, it's so infuriating where it's mm-hmm. just like, oh man, why can't, why can't why, why why can't this be you know at least one or two shows that kind of bubble up from the, the music world that at least get get that going on so even yeah I mean like I love going off track which I was like that should be uh, but and uh, even like Jonah Radio which is like because it's Nerdist is really fun but like it's not Priors is really good but like there's it's it's funny that they just I don't know I think it just takes time for the two to line up but so you Absolutely. are now working in like a whole new industry that didn't even exist 10 years ago. That must be like just that's that's so cool. Like and I, my my you know parents who my parents are wonderful and supportive but like they're like oh you think you're ever going to do this podcast for a career? I was like trying to explain to them like well it's like any art it's like the supporter and like, I was like I mean the Libsyn is going to make the money before I make the money. Like I'm yeah. the host. I'm 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 the guy at the bar playing guitar and that's fine. I don't ever want to do anything more than that. And so it's cool to see like companies coming out and people there's people's jobs are to work in podcasting, which I think is so cool. Yeah. Oh no, it's it's super exciting. That's why I mean it's like my my show, Hundred Words or Less, got picked up by Midroll like two, two and a half years ago. So it's like I had been working with them from a sort of you know, they were providing advertisements for my show for a while. So it's like I had worked with the company for a long time and it was uh they, I mean they're incredible at what they do. And so it was it was so natural for me to entertain the idea of working for them. It was just like, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I remember my first day on the job, which, you know, was like, whatever, a month and a half ago. Um, <laughs> oh, learning... wow. So this is like really new. Oh, dude, it's just, it's brand new. I'm still in the middle of it. So oh, yeah. uh, my, my first day was just like, you know, kind of showing me the sort of back end portal that, that we work on and, you know, how we book ads and all that other stuff. And it was like, oh, that's the same exact portal that I look at when me as a podcast host is looking to see if any ads have been booked for my shows. And it was just like, oh, this is so easy. So the the learning curve was easier because of that rather than having to learn a whole new platform. But it, ultimately, it was still super, super exciting. And I'm just, um, yeah, I'm glad to be able to diving into, you know, uh, basically I'm a, an account manager, so a sales position. So it's like I'm the person that's speaking to a lot of uh, huge ad agencies and a lot of the brands that you know you hear advertised on every podcast ever from Squarespace to Casper and it's like I'm working with them to develop these oh, you know, so that's cute, what I, I always yeah. wonder because like I, I listen to it I hear the ads and I'm like how does that work and I'm like all right not for me but I just wonder I'm like oh, that's someone's job so like yeah. that's so your job is literally to go to these big companies and convince them to go to these yeah. different so, podcasts totally. Yeah, exactly. It's like I provide them all the demographic information. I provide recommendations. I work on building, you know, campaigns and proposals alongside with the uh, uh, the company, and they're usually it's like their their ad rep. Um, and so yeah, it's just it's exciting because it's like you know the ability to kind of plug in a lot of different things in places that it's like oh yeah, this would make sense for you to do on this show, and using the knowledge that I already have. Um, so yeah, it's just it's super fun. Basically, I mean, it, again, I get to talk about stuff I'm passionate about all day, and it so it doesn't. It doesn't even feel like work, yeah. which oh, yeah. has been the model of my life. So now, I don't know if I read this on Midroll or somewhere else, but I know that the the big takeaway for podcasts is that we have podcasting has um, actual numbers compared to like radio. Now, so like for people listening who have podcasts or looking to get into um, advertising, is there a host site that you guys trust more than others? Because like there's usually there's a bunch of I use Libsyn, which is a really good, I, I love, but like I've heard some bad things about. Are there host sites? Are there ones that you guys, like, trust more than others? I mean, you don't have to say names. I don't want to get you in trouble or nothing. Oh, no, no. There's no – I mean, I, do, you know, separate from Midroll. I mean, it's not like Midroll recommends – well, actually, no, that's not, that's not true. They do. Like, SoundCloud is the preferred um, hosting method, just primarily because it's so easy, diverse, um, 
and uh, is really easy for a lot of people to pull in reports as far as like how many download shows gets and that sort of stuff. So um, it just plays well with a lot of different uh, yeah, compatibilities. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's like all the solutions that are out there from Libsyn, like I use a company called Buzzsprout. That's incredible. Um, there's, Basically, they're all kind of the same. It just matters how much um, reporting you personally want and statistics you want. Um, so there's a ton of different options. No one is really, like, the best beyond, like I said, SoundCloud is kind of the the, the prevailing one just because it is so, um, like I said, user-friendly and really easy for people to embed players and be able to send um, you know, audio links and all that sort of stuff. So that's, mm-hmm. that seems that's to be the prevailing one. But their data is not because my the network I'm on uses SoundCloud, and the data that I get from there is not as clear as Lipson. Totally, you're you're correct. You're correct. So that must be kind of fun too. You get to like I like the numbers and the downloads. That stuff's always just oh, it's fun. So that must be kind of exciting getting to look at some data at like a bigger show. Oh, dude, it's 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 a playground that I never thought I would be able to play in. But just to yeah, look at some of the premier podcasts around from, you know, Mark Marin show to Bill Simmons to Nerdist and just be like, oh, so that's how many downloads they get. And it's like, holy crap, like this is amazing. So um, and of course, I can't reveal those numbers. Otherwise, I would. No, well, I, I know public information said yeah. that Mark Marin's episode with Obama in 36 hours had just shy of a million. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that so, yeah, makes it's mind blowing, and so that means it's already over a million. There's no question about that. But in thirty, I mean, that was a bigger, obvious thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was like, man. Yep, totally. Man. No, it's, it, it's, it's just, not like television numbers from. In one way, I think that's amazing, and another way, it's like, how is that not more? Yeah. Oh no, for sure. Well, it's like, well, because it still takes effort to get these things in your ears. So. Yeah, but the relationship that you build with a podcast listener is way different. I mean. We always get shit on for being the generation with no attention span, and I look at one of the biggest things is, like, I listen to two- or three-hour podcasts consistently. Like, I will – I have to drive um, – the reason I had to move this around, I'm leaving before the big snowstorm, so we're going to drive to, like, my in-laws in Jersey. It's three hours. Like, all right, I'll put on You Made It Weird or Joe Rogan Experience, and I'll get there and done. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I will probably – and, I, God, I mean, I'm I'm such a sucker. I've done Audible. I've bought books. I've gone to see movies. I've I've watched TV shows. I – I just started watching The Grinder because I heard him talk about it on Nerdist enough. I was like, all right, got to watch it. Like, yeah, like, yeah. I'm so susceptible to the, the podcast. Now, what's that new underwear one I always hear about? You got you either got Mac Weldon or MeUndies. MeUndies, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're the guy. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there seems to be, like, Squarespace is a genius because they have just got on there early. Or Stamps.com got in there early and just got into everything. And now every podcast – I think of Nerdist.com, and I just think of Matt Myra uh, plugging Stamps.com for Mark Maring, and it's hilarious. Yeah. But no, <laughs> no, Stamps.com must be like, thank you. Of course. Yeah, the, the, the brand, if the brand is attached to a medium, it's like they're like, okay, mission mission accomplished. We win. Yeah, that's great. And I, mm-hmm. I don't remember Squarespace had a, a website for when Obama came to uh, visit – what's his name? Marin. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I also like that the infrastructure is really laid out really well with uh, the NPR shows – had, like, I'd never seen NPR pivot itself and do such a great job. I, yep. I mean, look at Serial. I mean, oh yeah, it's shit. unbelievable. Totally. Yeah, it's 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 great because yeah, it just obviously brings the medium to a much larger people, or a much larger base of people, which in turn is only going to kind of bring the the quality of shows up more. And so yeah, you just I mean, ultimately the biggest thing is you just need to work harder on your show to make it obviously compelling, um, mm-hmm. and obviously make what you do unique. I mean, that could be said over ev- any artistic discipline, but um, at this at this juncture, it's just it's it's so much more serious now. It's like especially if you're trying to enter it from a sort of radio world of uh, long form narrative journalism. It's like that's when you're gonna have to you have to make a big splash and you have to put a lot of effort into it as opposed to just like you know what we're doing here, which is obviously just you know long form hanging out. Um, yeah. But it's like yeah, if you're trying to make an impact and build your own stories and kind of make it uh, into the same fashion as what all the you know top rated shows out there, it's like you just got to work really really hard at it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then look at like Night Vale out of nowhere, or not out of nowhere, obviously. But I mean, that's yeah. a show that just. Yeah, I hope to see like the connect like the because I, I, because of com- podcasts, I've just become such a big comedy fan. But like you could do the live tapings, and like I would love to see it get to a point where like, well, no, Dan Harmon did like a podcast tour. I was like, that I don't know if it was profitable, but I mean that I think that's cool. I think that's like the next wave. Do you ever think video podcasting is going to take off? It seems to always try and then just not. Yeah, it's I mean it's hard just because it's such a. Uh... 
a completely different medium, you know? It's like most, a, a lot of people that uh, were uh, early to that, where they were just, you know, doing a podcast, but then obviously also recording it and posting it on YouTube or whatever, you know, that is fine because obviously it's just augmenting the preferred delivery of the content, which is obviously audio. Uh, but it's like people that are launching solely like a video podcast. It's like, you know, then you're, adding an additional layer of competition to yourself with obviously all of the eyeballs that are watching, you know, YouTube videos in general. And it's yeah. like, you know, talk, talk about a cluttered environment. And it's like, dude, oh, how do you, how do you make yourself, you know, viewable on YouTube? It's like, give me a break. And you've met the um, people who have, and no one seems totally. to know. No one. No, there's dude. I having sit down conversations with people um, who were, it's like, I was, you know, picking their brain as far as just like how it kind of all worked for them. And it was like, uh, honestly, the prevailing theme of multiple people that I spoke to in that world were just like, I don't know why people pay attention to me. Like, and not even from like a sort of self-defacing, like they were trying to, uh, you know, be humble about what it is that they were doing. They're just like, no, I have no idea. And so it's like to 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 expect <laughs> that there is a solution for this. It's like, yeah, you can pour money over a bunch of stuff and obviously it'll get eyeballs. Um, but is that sustainable? Um, that's a whole different ballgame. So it's like, yeah, there's no predictability in that. So are you seeing a parallel between the music industry and this kind of thing? Because it sounds similar. Uh, I think it's very much uh, – I hate to use the word predatory, but it totally is. I mean, it's a gold rush right now. So it's like yeah. everybody – and I'm not specifically talking about podcasting, even though there is an element of that. But it's like obviously yeah. this sort of you know social media world. Yeah, yeah. Um, everybody is trying to capitalize and squeeze as much money as they can out of it, um, You know, from managers to the actual people who are creating the content, um, just because no one knows where it's going to go. Because it's like you know people look at test cases of MySpace celebrities and how people rose to prominence on that. And it's like, you know, so many of those people, if they attach themselves to one platform and then that platform switches, they're, they're done. They don't have an audience, you know? So it's like, that's why uh, people have to make themselves known across so many different formats now. And it's like that in and of itself is a full-time job. So it's like, I don't envy, I don't envy the hustle of that. Um, And it's like, yeah, you could obviously envy the fact that it's like, oh, wow, it's like, you know, I'm having a meeting with a person and they're rolling up in a Tesla. It's like that was all paid for by views on videos. But it's like, that's fine. More power to them. They they, in some way, shape or form, they worked really hard on that. So it's like I can't um, I can't be jaded or bitter about it, you know, but it it definitely does feel um, like, uh, you know, disposable in a way where it's like, who knows where that's going to be in five years. So that's why everyone's (laughs) pouring a bunch of money into it now. There's an uh, there's an old saying uh, the best place to be in a gold rush is in the X business, and I think uh, you've positioned yourself well with like music and podcasting to be in the the business that will actually be here in the long run, which is great for you. That's awesome. Yeah, that's I just I, I keep on doing what I'm doing regardless of of uh, who's listening, but it's just like oh the the fact that my show has rose to the level of where it's at. And it's like, it's not necessarily getting any larger, but it's like I plateaued off at a very reasonable level where it's just like, when I post a show, it's like I'm getting anywhere between, you know, 20 to 30,000 downloads. It's great. I love that. I love And you from I, your home, right? I assume. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're I'm not in a studio it. or anything. No, 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 no. I mean, I've, I've modified my recording equipment to make it sound as good as possible yeah, of uh, because, because people have been kind enough to, you know, donate and contribute in many different ways. Yeah. Um, so it's like I'm not going to, you know, not pour that money right back into the show. Um, but, yeah, no, it's just it's, – Oh, so you're learning from your band days. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Hey, um, always, yeah. always be the creator, and like, and that seems to be something that kind of – you've always seen someone – I mean, obviously I don't, like, know you, but, like, I've listened to you talk enough where it feels like you've always been honest and practiced what you preach. Like, you have a podcast and you work in podcasts. You love music. You worked in music. You're a straight-edge vegan and you work for PETA, too, like – I think that's good. It's just, and that's the honesty within podcasting. It's just it's great. Like you get to like meet a person without actually meeting them. I think that's a wonderful medium. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a one-sided relationship. But then as you uh, approach these people and you start to like anybody that <laughs> emails me. Uh, about the show and like starts to have a conversation with me um you know i I, in some respects i feel sorry for them because i immediately just view them as like part of the family so i'm just kind of like hey thanks for listening what episode did you listen to why did you like it and i just like i get in these really irrational relationships with people because they have (laughs) because they have been so kind and like invested time in me so i'm like so um over the moon in the same way it's like I just always remember I always sold the merch for my band because it's like, whatever, we play, I'd run back to the merch table and, you know, sell shirts. And it's like, 
there would be so many times where it's just like I would be, you know, pouring sweat over people as I was hugging them. And it's just like they were, you know, <laughs> because they bought a $10 T-shirt. It's like, why am I so eternally indebted to people? It's like, well, because they gave a shit about what I was doing. It's like, that's awesome. It definitely comes off that way, and I think well, that's what's great, and that's what punk rock was, and like, and, and plus a sales tactic. You know, my T-shirts I bought, I don't want because I wanted to talk to somebody. <laughs> I'm sure, right? I'm sure we've all done that, but no, that's that's great. Um, oh man, well, thank you so much for doing this. Where could uh, people find all of your endeavors on the internet? Yeah, no problem. It was my pleasure. Uh, you can visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com, or visit my personal site if you want to see pictures of my child, rayharkins.com. Um. And then, uh, yeah, and then I'm on every social media platform imaginable as X Purpose X, a uh, online moniker I've had since I was 15 years old. Again, just kind of uh, never changing. <laughs> so yeah, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Um, and then uh, yeah, if you like, I said, if you dare email me, you will get a response, and uh, I yeah, will. You're not getting because that's exactly how this happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, that's that's cool. I mean, I've had other people not respond. I've had people respond, and when people respond, it just feels nice. It, it really does. It's great. There's, there's, I don't care how busy you are. There's no legitimate reason you can't write a person back. So the people that ignore emails, like, I mean, everybody's done it to a certain extent, but it's like, that should be your prevailing rule of thumb where it's just like, just respond to a person. Just, even if you don't want to do it, that you can tell them that. And people aren't usually, you know, emotionally adept enough to be <laughs> handled disappointment. Be like, oh, that person didn't want to do it. That's fine. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah, I'll post this, uh, not this Monday, but I'm going to put it up uh, for my next Monday episode. And uh, Okay, cool. Oh, thank you so much, man. Um, yeah, have a yeah. good rest of your day. You too, dude. Safe travels. Thanks.